Ramsey. Um, so this is I. I wanted no one else but you to be on my one-year anniversary of my channel episode. It's also my birthday episode. And um, you offer a really great Patreon um, thing where you talk to subscribers like once a month about like a variety of subjects. Uh-huh. I do. I think that, so I can vouch for that. I think that is like the best, the best Patreon um, offer, much better than a lot of other things because um, you're really knowledgeable on a lot of these uh, subjects. And right as we're about to talk about cause celeb killers, Damien Eccles and Amanda Knox and John Douglas are, for $45, going to appear together at Town Hall to talk about on the subject of the wrongly accused. Right. God, that's incredible. I just couldn't believe that that popped up. Oh, my gosh. Are you going to go? Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, if I go, I'll probably be protesting outside. Like, I, it's just, it's not even just that we're making these murderers. I mean, he's a twice convicted child killer. I mean, Amanda Knox is a little bit different. I mean, even though her exonerating decision is that she was there that night and she washed the blood of Meredith Kircher off her hands. That's the decision that she's going around saying is so exonerating. So I guess on the subject of the wrongly accused, she's going to talk about how she wrongly accused her boss of murder. I'm sure that's going to be the first thing off. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm sure that they'll forget that. Uh, It's incredible. (laughs) It's going to be March 23rd, 2019, not too far away. I, I wonder if people show up. I mean, he's spe- and it's John Douglas. It's so bizarre. Like in his, you know, I, I criticized or critiqued his book that he he had a ghostwriter, but I think it was called Law and Disorder. I think was the name of the book where he covered the West Memphis Three, and he got it so wrong. I mean, over and over, he actually wrote in his book, which I included in Abomination, that there was nothing in the case files that indicated Eccles was capable of these crimes. And it's like, did you read them? Because I got a completely different thing. And they, uh, he forgot that they had been convicted. Damien Eccles was on probation for threatening police and all this stuff like that. He had been caught in like an abandoned trailer with his girlfriend at the time. And John Douglas just conveniently forget that. So, And at least... Baldwin was the shoplifter. And right. there's 500 pages of Gary mental health history yes. called the 500 put together by his his uh, defense. defense. Yeah, so I That's- mean, it's really off the charts. But the the thing about Douglas is at least he's consistent with many of the other observers of the West Memphis Three in that, including Joe Bel- Berlinger and the guys who did the documentary, in that they consistently omit sig- the most significant facts of the case. So. Uh, John Douglas, uh, sadly, is not alone in that regard. Yeah, you don't think they're going to be talking about Jesse Miss Kelly's multiple post-conviction confessions? Not even this. once. They won't, they, What they'll say is, you know, he was abused and beat up. He was tied to a chair when he confessed for 14 hours. And, you know, they took a pair of pliers to his teeth. And it'll just be a big, you know, and they'll also call him uh, mentally deficient, you know. He had an IQ of 68. Right, which which is interesting because you would think that with such a low IQ, 
you wouldn't be able to uh, consistently make up such an elaborate story time and time again in so many different environments. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that the good news is a lot of those tapes are on my YouTube channel, William Ramsey Investigates, and other places on the internet, so you can just listen to him talking. You can listen to the one Jesse Meskelly uh, confession where he is with his attorney who is saying, do not confess. This is not for you. I want to, and he responds, I want to tell the truth, you know. I want to, I want to do this. And he, against the advice of counsel, in the presence of counsel and the prosecutor, confessed again. So... Right. And was that defense attorney Dan Stidham yes, who was correct. telling him not to confess? Correct. So, and he's supposed to be coming out with a book all of, and he's a big uh he's jumped on the innocence bandwagon, correct. you know. Well, he I think he's obligated by rules of professional responsibility from always saying that, you know, they were innocent, but he uh he's a, you know, one of those curious guys who repeats the landing report which, uh, you know, is, can be discredited as a, you know, so-called statement of the FBI that, that there's no such thing as occult crimes. But he, he referenced the landing report in a recent, uh, when he talked with uh, Sideshow Bob Ruff, that's what he referenced during that, uh, that interview. So that was, that was pretty curious. So he's, he's got the, he's towing the, you know, defense attorney line, you know, which is why I think he's a judge now or was it, became a judge in Arkansas, so. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah, Amazing. so yeah, very, very. And, and you know, it's interesting. Apparently, there's like a West Memphis Three tie into this new season of True Detective as well. Have you watched True Detective? No, but uh-huh. everybody's been contacting me about it. Yes. And about so, it and yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But it takes place in Arkansas, you know. So they've got so the it, sorry. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is it like an innocent type thing? Are they? hopping on that in, or is it like they actually committed the crime well it seems like the the perpetrators were three young men who were involved i haven't seen the whole thing but uh it seems like they're they're drawing up the visuals of these young boys or young there were two kids who disappeared one was found dead and the girl was missing for 10 years but uh it seems like they're kind of pulling up the same kind of visuals of the west memphis street much like the first season of stranger things so oh yeah, yeah. Interesting. Which, yeah, yeah, which one of the characters name is Byers. Oh, by the way, uh, happy anniversary. Happy one year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. You're, Thank you're you. doing a great and job. Thank you. I'm glad you're out there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's also Bob Ruff's birthday and oh, no. uh, Ken Angers. I share it with Kenneth Anger. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. And Gertrude Stein. There's a few other and Mendelssohn, a few other good people, but yeah. Well, they're both in the news. <laughs> Kenneth Anger should be in the news because his former roommate, uh, Bobby Buzelay, is up for parole. I think we talked about that. Yeah. And uh, really like an interesting, because um, I know that the other, the Manson, uh, I'm forgetting her name now. It's like Van. Van Houten. Yeah. No, Leslie Houten. Van Houten. Houten. Sorry. Yeah. She was recommended for parole and right. then the governor rejected it. So right. just, She's done every program in prison that she can possibly do. I mean, she's been there so, so long. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I, and so it's an interesting dilemma. Is she there because her case is so famous? Or I think yeah. so. Don't you think? Don't you think if yeah. she wasn't a famous person, she would probably be paroled? <clears throat> Nobody's going to take a chance on her or Boozley. I don't think they'll ever get out of jail. 
Yeah. <clears throat> but Boozley is interesting because he is the tie between Manson and Anger, you know, and you so you have this hardcore guy who defines himself as a warlock, you know, with uh, Boozley in in one of Anger's movies. No, no real researchers really want to key into it or acknowledge that, but uh, that is the tie between Manson and Anger is Boozley. Yeah, and the weird thing is how he recorded the soundtrack to Lucifer Rising, Bobby Boozley, Correct. in prison. How did he do that? I mean, how is that possible? I guess they let him have musical instruments, because I've seen pictures of him in prison when he was, uh, you know, with musical instruments. So I'm assuming that they let him tinker around. But he was actually going to be Lucifer. That was his his primary role in that movie, was to be a representation of Lucifer when he was, you know, living uh, living with anger. But, yeah, it's... uh. It's interesting. I don't know how they actually did the music, but I know that he's still writing music, so I'm assuming they're letting letting him do that in... Uh, I think he's in San... Is he in San Quentin? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. The whole yeah. thing is... You know, and when I was researching this, I, I almost had to stop and, like, take... My, my head hurt so much from researching all these uh, so celebrity supporters of convicted murderers and people who are involved in the Innocence Project, yeah. and they go from one case to another, and they weave in and out, and then convicted uh, murderers get released, and then they start uh, becoming spokespeople for other people's cases and right. get involved and start their own organizations. It's really like a crazy uh, Innocence Fraud factory. I don't know. Right, how yeah. Think. We did that show on Innocence Fraud. I mean, it's interesting you bring that up. So you've got... Amanda Knox hanging out with Damien Eccles, both, um, I think she was convicted in Italy of something. I forgot what they they basically convicted her. Slander. Slander, right. So she was convicted of a criminal act in uh, Italy. Damien Eccles is currently still guilty at law. Al took an Alfred plea and con- uh, said, you know, with the advice of counsel, very the best counsel, said that he was guilty of first-degree murder. So they're out there claiming innocent. And I think Baldwin is working for or has started an Innocence Project type of uh, non-profit. Have you heard that? I, I've heard that, but what? he started that really, it was like Cry Justice or something yes. like that. Yes. Just, yeah, and it and seems so, like it's not too active. <laughs> no, I don't think it's very active, but it, it it's interesting that he went that direction towards this kind of innocence fraud um, you know, situation. You have the most telling clip of him speaking where he's talking about people who made a mistake. Right, right. Instead of people who are innocent and wrongly accused, he said, we don't put people away for life just because they made a mistake. Right, and it's, and a, I, mis, it's a misspeak. It's, he misspoke. He should have said for something they didn't do, right? Yes. So, like, oh, so and you, he, yeah. You know the other thing I wanted, I'm sorry, Stepping on uh, you a little bit, but um, the other thing is when you see these people who who are convicted uh, murderers and they in the Innocence Project or some other organization gets them out and they're interviewed right as they're leaving prison and they're always asked if they are angry about being wrongfully accused, wrongfully convicted, and almost they are never angry. I mean just never angry about losing decades of their life, 
uh, being wrongly accused of, mur of a murder they didn't do. They never have any anger. They're only looking forward, not holding on to their anger. I mean, when the deli guy doesn't put tomato on my sandwich, I'm angry. But these guys, multiple decades in prison, never, no anger. So it's, it's a great point. Why is that? Why aren't they just, why didn't they, why didn't they, when they got out on the Alford plea in August 2011, why didn't they use that outstanding evidence they had and went back to trial, had their conviction nullified, and then sued the state like every other wrongfully convicted person for millions of dollars, right? So these are yeah. huge, an innocent project is not a, I believe it's a non-profit, but they are very profitable. They take those cases and they make millions of dollars and probably get a very healthy cut out of that. So why didn't the West Memphis Three go that route? Yeah, and how do you think that they get this, the Innocence Project gets this um, image as the underdog? I mean, they have $25 million right, right. <laughs> in, in 2015. So how did they get the image of the underdog? Right. Well, that's a great point. I mean, like I said, these are large settlements. They're they're seven-figure. I don't know if they've had an eight-figure settlement, but they're significant settlements. So why didn't Barry Sheck and the Innocence Project take the West Memphis Three case? Right. There's a lot of problems there, right? So, you know, <clears throat> it's uh, it's very interesting. But you know, he's still uh, he's still talking there. You know, Baldwin gave two lectures at the. Uh, it was, I think it was UC Davis or somewhere. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was in, uh, I take that wrong. He was in the Sturm College of Law. I don't even know where that is, but he was giving, you know, he's still giving talks about innocence. I wonder if anybody in the, the law students scratched their head. Like, ooh, what's going on? Is he really innocent? Yeah. That's a Denver. Feel... Denver, sorry. See interesting comments in the, in the comment section of videos of, of people who, who have come out of prison proclaiming, you know, who get out on some, like, for example, Ryan Ferguson, who was gotten out by Kathleen Zellner because of a Brady violation. Right. But once they're out, don't you think that the fact, and this is, I see this so much with the West Memphis Three, the fact that they're out is seen as a stamp of their innocence is an exoneration. Well, they wouldn't have let them out if they if they weren't innocent. Right. Well, I've heard that said about the West Memphis Three, right? But the Ryan Ferguson getting out on a Brady is really kind of a technicality. It doesn't go yeah. to the actual facts of the case. It's about a prosecutor not properly... Uh, it's a constitutional uh, situation where the prosecution does not divulge appropriate information to the defense. So they're hiding yeah. information. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so... Yeah, it's amazing how these things get twisted, right? Right. And so I wanted to start uh, with uh, talking about um, Mumia Abu-Jamal, because you have a great uh, part of your book uh, in Abomination, your book on the West Memphis Three, where you talk about cause celeb killers, and you talk about first Jack Henry Abbott, uh, <laughs> who was... Uh, who made it, he was a convicted, um, I guess, forger first, then he killed another inmate, sprung out of jail, they brought him back, and he started writing letters to Norman Mailer, and Norman Mailer published some of those letters called In the Belly of the Beast, and he got a lot of support as, like, this brilliant author. Right. Right? Yeah. And, um, 
he what and he after six weeks after he was released, he got in an argument uh with a waiter and stabbed him to death. Went back to uh and went back to prison and killed himself after he was convicted, right? Right. Or did he so, kill himself before he went to trial, I'm not sure. No, he uh he was he got a fifteen years to life sentence for killing the waiter and then was denied parole denied parole and then hung himself in two thousand two. So, but it was interesting. You had Norman Mailer, noted author, Susan Sarandon, Christopher Walken, all of these pretty well-known uh, actors, uh, you know, supported Abbott. So, uh, you know, and, and worked to get him out, really. So that's like the important part is that they were, you know, Mailer was attending his parole hearing and encouraged his release. So in some ways, Mailer was associated with the next time he killed somebody because he let somebody with violent tendencies uh, or, or encouraged somebody, or encouraged the parole board to let somebody with violent tendencies out of jail. And Susan Saranda named her child uh, after him, who was born in the uh, 90s, which is and, so amazing. You would think that if, if I supported a killer who killed somebody uh, after he was released, I would be so ashamed. That I that I had that I would think I had blood I I rightfully would think I had blood on my hands I wouldn't want to remember that at all nor would I support any other killer but she's like she's the celebrity that is believes in I don't think there's a a cry of innocence she doesn't believe right that's interesting yeah so um, yeah it's remarkable you know it definitely is and I just don't I just don't understand it and. Mumia Abu Jamal, um, talk a little bit. He was uh, convicted of killing a cop. He was found with the gun next. And this is like a really interesting case because he watched, he and his brother were both at the same part of Philadelphia at 4 a.m. in the morning, which I find very odd. And his brother, Billy Cook, went down, down a one-way street the wrong way and, um, the um, cop, Daniel Faulkner, pulled him over and they got into sort of a tip. Is that right? They got right. So it was like he was talking to Mamou's uh, brother. His real name, or born name, was Wesley Cook. He has this kind of black revolutionary name, Mamouya, Mamouya Abu Jamal. But he came up on the officer while he was talking to his brother and shot him. <clears throat> And, um, and, and he was found and he got injured in the process. He was heard by two witnesses in the hospital saying, I killed the MFR and I hope the MFR dies. Right. Right. So he has (laughs) bullets from the officer's gun in his body. So you can trace him being there. So, I mean, he was, I mean, he was found guilty, but is properly found guilty. There's not any kind of like, um. you know, variants or like some kind of questionable issue. He was properly found guilty. No. And, you know, and I think that, well, after his, his, um, he became, his cause became really big. I think after move, the move fiasco in Philadelphia, which really highlighted, um, the Philadelphia's, uh, police department and, uh, some of their shortcomings. But, my mother was invited to like a mumia meeting about it. <laughs> She's not into true crime, you know, not into crime cases at all. And, uh, very sympathetic to, uh, 
I guess, I don't know, very sympathetic person, I guess. And she left like, uh, I don't know. That guy seems really guilty. <laughs> oh, yeah, super guilty. But here's Susan Sarandon again and all these other people, Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela, you know, calling Alec Baldwin, Whoopi Goldberg, all coming to his, his defense. And he's claiming always somebody else did it. And Mumia Abu-Jamal had like a radio show that he does that I think either goes out on NPR or some kind of public broadcasting thing where he, you know, talks about current issues and stuff like that. So uh, he's, he's considered, I remember that, the guys from Rage Against the Machine consider him like a political prisoner. So you Boy. see how it gets politicized, you know, something. Yes. And I think that he was, he saw himself as a political activist and the shooting of the cop was, you know, a political act against the man, right? Against these corrupt police officers. In this instance, just pulling somebody over for a traffic stop. So uh, I think they planned it. I mean, how is that possible? I think they went out. You be the person to go here. I'll watch from across the street, and I and we get to kill the cop. Like I really think it was planned. I, I can't kill the cop, right? Which is even you know, which is uh, even worse. So he's. I don't know how long they've tried to put him to death. I mean, I don't know. That was uh, I'm trying to remember the date when that was. That was uh, eighty one. So he's been on death row for thirty seven years. Right, but he got off of death row in 2011. It got got changed in life. And, um, but the craziest thing is that he got, um, somehow in prison, he got um, hepatitis C. And I don't know if you know anything about these new hepatitis C treatments, but they're incredibly expensive. Incredibly expensive. Um, And uh, they... He fought to get treated, not the old way, but the new way with these super, and won. Huh, interesting. Which is, I, I mean, another that. issue, because most people can't afford, even people like, you know, I, I, you would just go broke during just that treatment. Just Amazing amount of money, like $250,000 uh, at least, I think. Wow. Um, so it's kind of incredible, and the, his, when I was researching uh, these cases, his list of supporters was longer than any other. That's what, I, uh, any other, Alec Baldwin, I mean, just went on and on. It never ended. It was amazing. And it's not a vague case in, in the least. Wow, that's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, uh, that's one that's just another another one of these cost celebs, these, these uh, people in Hollywood. You know, support, support. It's pretty crazy. And and also researching, I saw a lot of, like, articles that were written, like, 20 years ago, 50, a uh, long time ago, saying this guy is guiltier than OJ. He's very guilty in, like, the L.A. Times, Times Magazine. And I, I realized we don't see any articles like that anymore. You never see any articles in mainstream media media questioning uh, innocence campaigns, and why is that? That's a good point. I don't know. I mean, I think that this is, you can put some of these this activism by celebrities or left wings within uh, Mumia Abu Jamal, Abbott, um, and even Damien Eccles in the West Memphis Three is that these guys have a narrative that they you know sympathize with. So. The narrative of, of the West Memphis Three is that they were oddballs, outsiders, and the man came down 
and convicted them for a crime that, you know, just because they were acting strange, this whole narrative of the the heavy metal t-shirts and stuff, right? So I think that uh-huh. that's, that's why these these characters get this support because they put up this kind of camouflage that really hides the fact that there are cold-blooded killers. You know, murder is murder, right? Yeah. And so I was going to ask, um, with the West Memphis 3, do you sense that the money has dried up for their P- – I mean, I know they still have Lonnie Story as their PR – uh, PR representative, and but I, I I sense at least I don't know if you do that. There's less people who seem to be paid to go on social media defending them. Yes. There's less people. Yes. Do you get that sense? Yeah, it seems like the the troll farms have dried up for sure. You know, I don't have those things. I mean, there's still some troll farms with the smiley face killers, but uh, as far as the West Memphis Three, that doesn't seem to be there, and the constant questioning and things like that on youtube comments or anything like that isn't there so it seems like the money has dried up and a lot of this uh it seems like you know the money was raised to get them out but now to maintain them seems very it seems very different that uh they don't the celebrities don't it seems to have a mark on him where the celebrities aren't hanging out with him in public as much as they did when he got out in 2011 i haven't seen him with uh, like uh, Peter Jackson, Depp only recently when they were uh, about to kill a guy in Arkansas. But yeah, I haven't seen Depp hanging out with Eccles. You know, just a just a few people. I think when we talked last time, all these guys who were on the Joe Rogan podcast, it was uh, Sturgill Simpson and some of these other characters. But you know, that's that's really all I've seen. Right, and I mean, I, I think Amanda Knox is just thrown a whole bunch of money into her online PR because if you go on Twitter, there's like a million sock puppets and they're arguing, they're all arguing her innocence with, with each other. Wow. Yeah. I and mean, that's how it's done now. Right. So there's fake, fake narratives created to really sway opinion, you know, and they just insult you. I mean, oh, yeah. and what I'm always surprised with when, you know, I have this video called West Memphis three solved where I, I talk right. about them being guilty, and it's really downvoted. <laughs> and right. I've been called all sorts of things in the comments, like a festival of I- ignorance. I've been called the devil. Um, yeah, no, I, they, they come, they're nasty. They're vicious <laughs> as they get. I think that's your number one watched uh, video, too, though, right? Yeah. Right. Or yeah, the most clicked on, so they're probably trying to downvote that or make sure people don't have a ten. I mean... When I first put my book out, Abomination, what, 2012, that was incredible because I did not see the ferocity and the intensity and the, the, the money behind it, you know, because at almost every stop when I published it, my book was tried to suppress on Amazon, you know, that almost everything I did was criticized or try to have people were trying to take it down. So um, that has definitely dropped off for me, for sure. Yeah, but I think that the, I mean, do you, I mean, Rabia Chaudhry, who is Adnan Syed's uh, advocate of the serial podcast, right. Right. Um, who the, he was convicted of strangling his girlfriend, oh, his ex-girlfriend, Hayden Lee. Um, she was deeply influenced by the West Memphis Three. Interesting. And her plan all along has been to um, get an Alfred plea, just like the West Memphis Three. Interesting. And I didn't know that. So I think it's, 
I think there's two ways you can go if you if you have a guilty person and you want to make it look like they're innocent and get the public in an um, outrage over it. Is you can e- either do a documentary that's full of omitted or false information, or you can do a podcast. Right. And then social media, and then have you know advocates on social media like. It was very interesting with um, Stephen Avery's case. They had an actual protest in person uh, for him and Brendan Dassey to be released. And uh, Meredith sent it to me. It was like 25 people showed up. It was the most pathetic. (laughs) That is pathetic. But you would think that from online, everyone thinks that they're innocent. And it it just is like this massive support you know all it looks like online that they have that you would think you know hundreds of thousands of people would show up it's quite quite interesting when you see the difference between it is interesting no it's very important to uh observation because it shows the dislocation between the reality of what's happening you know on the ground and then this false impression by pr people on social media right because you it's i think that that's one of their primary goals is to make it look, and that definitely in the West Memphis Three, was to make it look like the majority thinks that they're um, innocent, right? Yeah. So you're taking definitely. an opinion. And, and in my book, Abomination, I had a chapter called The Court of Public Opinion. You know, that was just as much of an important thing to get the, the public swayed about the West Memphis Three as the celebrities, right? How does, I mean, how does that, I mean, how does that work, do you think, you know, I, mean, do you, I don't think the public's aware of that, that the that public opinion affects the court. Absolutely. I, like I mean, well, look at Hillary Clinton. She has tons of support. She's engaged in, like, obvious criminality, right? But she has this fake pu- public support that people think that she's great when nobody actually really does, you know? So mm-hmm. she's a perfect example of somebody um, who they they won't... Uh, you know, they won't bring to court because they're afraid, they're actually afraid of the public freaking out. So I think that that the PR people try to influence people in thinking that, you know, that this, this public involved, you know, the public outrage will actually affect them, their career, their, their reputation, things like that. There's heavy duty reputational costs, right? Right. Did you see in her campaign when it's so obvious someone from her campaign made a video set to uh, Bikini Kills, Riot Girl, uh, that song, uh, Rebel Rebel Girl. Rebel Girl. And trying to make her look like this, like, feminist hero. And um, did you you see that video? I missed that. I missed that. But there was all kinds of propaganda and PR about her, you know? And a lot of this stuff against Trump is really a distraction from looking at what's going on with the Clinton Foundation and stuff like that. So it's a perfect example of how public opinion, uh, perceived public opinion, because most people, I think in actuality, know that she's up to no good. But um, I think that she's, she's an experienced politician with decades of public relations stuff. So I'm sure she has a PR person, right, just maintaining her public image. I mean, she's actually very sick, physically sick pretty remarkable that she actually even was running for president and donna brazil in her book flat out said we were about to switch her out she was so sick you know september 11th 2016 she flopped they chucked her into a granny van so it's a it's a perfect example of how 
public opinion and public perception can be shaped. Yeah, it, it was really, um, I, I don't know. I, I talked to my doctor about her, about what he thought was going on with her, and he said that just to get a brain bleed, you have to be in such bad condition. You know, when she fell right. and she um, hit her head and her brain bled, and she had a brain injury from that. She was right. wearing um, corrective... Uh, Frenal lens glasses. glasses, yeah. Yes, and, you know... She could have done a lot of good to talk about her brain injury. You well, know? that's but a good point. That's a good point. So, she probably thought yeah. she would disqualify, but her eyes were disconjugate. She actually, her left eye is, uh, it's a lazy eye. It wasn't always a lazy eye. So something happened, you know, and so she was trying to cover that up in her speeches as well. So she literally had a brain injury and people like Dr. Drew actually got fired from his job when he actually said, man, she has some serious... She was in the hospital for a year, I think. So she was she was not a very healthy candidate in any shot. doesn't mean that Trump is some kind of saint. Don't get me wrong. I mean, but right. she was... Uh, yeah, it's, it's I, incredible. I but for, I think it's... I, I didn't vote for either one of them. Okay, well, I that's good. I didn't vote for either one of them, but, you know, I, I just... I, I, I was... I was, and she also didn't campaign. She took like these long stretches off from her right. campaign. Right. And you just can't do that and expect to win. I mean, just I mean, crazy. it's a campaign. It's grueling, right? And so there's a lot of re uh, reasons. They say that she didn't go to Michigan, these states where she lost. But she had an excuse why she did. But one of the reasons why she didn't go to those states probably is because she was ill. Too ill to go, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean, she had this huge uh, African-American guy followed her around hopped up on stage he actually passed away recently but uh he was the one i mean she literally had like a helper or handlers and i mean in some of these in the most recent i think it was uh when aretha franklin passed away there were people on each side of her helping her go up a flight of steps like she could not go up a flight of steps and then during the ceremony she fell asleep like her eyes are closed <laughs> like these are people who should be in a nursing home you know, I know. it's incredible I know. I it's just really sad for me to see the media, the way the media reported on, on her uh, campaign was just, it was just a love fest for yes, her all, yes. the, you know, all the time. And yeah. uh, it's it just very odd. It really feels like now that we have just like a few um, companies owning everything with right. mainstream media, journalism has gotten so poor. Really bad. Quality. Yeah, really awful. And, well, no, there, there, there's arguments against that, that concentration of media power. They used to have laws against it, but now you can trace everything back to like four corporations, Microsoft, <laughs> Disney. And if you give them beneficial tax laws or, you know, some type of rebates, they're going to tell your party line, man. So that's the way it really works. And when they looked at the Podesta emails, I think that she had had something like 50 or 60 journalists that she was paying money to. So you're not getting objective journalism in any shape of uh, shape or form in any ways, and that's why the kind of more astute, smarter people will not watch corporatized media. So. Right, and on the other hand, <laughs> right, some so like taking it back to innocence fraud, Let's some place like Democracy Now, which is supposed to be public supported for the people, right. has on Damien Eccles. Doesn't ask him many times, multiple times. Um, reports on um, Hurricane Reuben Hurricane Carter like he was a saint, right. and 
wasn't got, gotten out on a technicality. Um, and pretty much, and Momia too, all three, three of those cases I can think of on the top, in the most uncritical, revolting fashion with no empathy for the victims, with right. no, you know, barely a mention of the victims, and totally um, obscuring the facts or misreporting the facts of their case. Right. I mean, actively, right? Did you see that interview with Damien Eccles where he's like, I could be killed for a pack of chewing gum? And she went to Harvard, Jimmy <laughs> Goodman. It's no oh, dummy. Right. right. But, no, I've listened so. to that. Sadly, I have. Yeah, she's terrible job. <laughs> terrible. Like, these guys don't even do any re I don't think they do any background research. They just, somebody gives them a, a piece of paper and they just read off it, you know? So, so how so. is that for the people? When well, they just take point. the PR uh, from, you know, paper. Is that really activism journalism? Or? I, I don't know. I can't, I can't say it's for the people if they're not telling them the truth, right? So why are they involved in this? I mean, that Goodman thing, they were talking, I think, in that interview is when they brought out the snapping turtles, right? Wasn't Amy Berg on that interview? And they talked about the giant prehistoric beasts that, you know, came out of, dematerialized out of... Uh, wormhole and you know attacked i mean the thing about the the it's basically a farce because buyers bled out right before that was the cause of death right the little boy so that would mean if the if the snapping turtles were attacking him it had to be anti-mortem right it would be pre-death so not only were people involved in the death there was a snapping turtle attacking an eight-year-old boy it's off the charts crazy so you know when that when she was saying you know this amy berg thing which she also said that on the view it's just like come on people you can't be that dumb and the reality is is that really just... you know how many emails and comments i've left to, to amy goodman <sighs> i mean no. you know i just want an answer like i just want to know why you're doing it why you're doing it, how you can call yourself, you know, real journalism. Every time they're raising money, this is real journalism. Right. Look at Piers Morgan. Look at the Piers Morgan interview on YouTube. It's another whopper. He's looking at him, and Damien Eccles is making the cult sign of silence. And Piers Morgan looks at him and says, you know, you don't, you know, they characterized you as a Satan-worshipping murderer but you don't look like that and i'm looking at him i'm going man he looks really pale he looks like he could easily be a murderer what are you definitely. saying definitely <clears throat> i mean i'm looking at him too i'm not seeing what Piers morgan so there you that's when you see that there's some there's somebody pulling strings behind uh, a lot of these guys and they wouldn't go actually honestly they wouldn't go on those shows and they've never really been in a public in an environment that where anybody critical has ever talked to them so they would never go on those shows were intelligent people who knew the facts of the case asked them questions, right? Well, Never has happened. For the view, apparently, we have that's where we have to go now for hard hitting reporting. Yeah, wow, terrifying. So, um, I mean, I think that that's really what they're afraid of. There was that one, the one other video on YouTube where uh, Jason and Mara Leverett are talking, and it's just a mind blower because, like, the people don't know the facts of the case, and she's saying. You have to believe that he was muddy. You have to have somebody. Nobody saw him muddy. And they're like, well, there's a whole family who testified in court. They saw Eccles by the crime scene that night muddy. And, right. and she does yeah. it in a really folksy way. Well, I'm folksy, a mother. Yeah. Right. And I boys don't come home without a whole lot of evidence 
on them right. for playing in the mud. And it's just very odd. Odd. And she's laughing and kind of giggling while she's giving them. Oh. Devil's Knot is not a good book. Devil's Knot really isn't a very good book, you know. So. No, and I think the most interesting find was that she had been corresponding and sent them a reviewer's right. copy way before it came out. So she right. was really collaborating with these child with a child murderer. Well, and then the lawyers, I think it was Dennis Reardon, there was a receipt in Rob, when they, Rob, if people don't know, there was a guy in Arkansas who bought two of Damien Eccles' storage lockers. And, and Rob Horn was the guy's name, and he said he found a receipt from, that was paid to Reardon, who was who vetted Devil's Knot for any, uh, you know, they vetted Devil's Knot. I mean, obviously, there's purposes why they're vetting it, but that's what Rob Warren said was. So his attorneys looked over that book. So it's supposedly an objective third-party, uh, hard-hitting journalism. But, uh, you know, if somebody's lawyer's looking over it, you got to put that into question. Have you ever argued the, with people about the West Memphis Three and they just and you you think that it might be over after you mentioned Jesse Miss Kelly's multiple post conviction confessions and they just keep bringing up like the hair like like right. or just yeah. just the PR party it's it's like yes. banging your head against the wall. Uh, it's really I think it's really a battle against stupidity I, and I think that that's mostly what I've learned since I've written that book is these people are very credulous and they really don't know what actual words mean. They don't know what evidence really means. They don't understand proof in context. They don't really know what hearsay is. Oh, uh, they love to use the word hearsay. Oh, they just love it, but they don't use it in context and guilt and proof. Like, oh, I just think they're not, they're, I get it all the time. I think they're not guilty, but they're guilty. They're currently guilty underlying. But I, they keep saying, I think they're not guilty, but it's non-factual, you know? So they keep, they, you just keep seeing this and that's, kind of you can discriminate between the morons and the PR people because the morons just keep using these words just just in the most banal way just out just really out of context so I think the West Memphis three really is like people who just have a really coarse uh, really lowbrow concept of language you know they don't understand I also think it's a cult, you know, like they become cult-like where they get all their information from one source. They all um, support each other in the, the, this idea that you could, could anyone could falsely confess multiple times in multiple different, you know, many different environments. Like that's ever happened in the history of the world ever again. It's called false confession, not false confession. Right. Plural. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and the other thing is, you know, you just, yeah, you're just battling this the, the PR facts that have been put out, you know, VR lies that have been uh, eaten and digested, so people just keep repeating all the stuff, so I just, I just fielded some stuff just uh, yesterday, somebody sent me a new blog where they have the um, Hobbs, Jacoby, Hollingsworth, these four, boy, you know, people who supposedly did it, and it's just the same stuff, I just keep Keep getting these same things back. I said it's all in my book. Where's the Where's the Jesse Miss Kelly confessions? Where's the statement by Eccles at the softball park, where the girls have not recanted, where they were in court saying he killed three and he wanted to kill two more? You know, those are all not hearsay. Those are all statements in court that the jury heard. You know, so 
Uh, anyway. we're, out of, we're out of time. Thank okay. you so much, William Ramsey. This was a real Welcome. pleasure. It's nice talking to you again. Thanks. Okay, bye. All right. You there?